achievers, welcome to Elite Achievement, your go-to podcast for service-based business owners who want to achieve their goals and grow their businesses. Hear inspiring stories from other business owners, learn goal achievement strategies, and overcome the challenges you face when growing your business. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach, here to help you achieve your goals. Together, let's close the gap between the goals you set and the goals you achieve. Hey, Goal Achievers. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite hobbies and personal growth and development tools, reading. Truth be told, I haven't always loved reading. I do remember reading the Goosebumps and Boxcar Children book series as a kid, but as I got older, I started to think reading was really boring. And something changed when I started working. I heard leaders talk about the impactful books they were reading, and I started to connect the dots that reading would be a way for me to improve as a coach. So I I read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, and then I started setting reading goals at the beginning of each year. And I'm so proud that in 2020, I surpassed my reading goal of reading 36 books, and I read the most books I've ever read in a year. And one of the things I hear most often when I talk about the latest book I'm reading is, how do you find the time to read? So to help us all read more this year, I've invited speed reading expert with over 30 years of experience, author of four books, and educator, Abby Marks Beal, to teach us all how to improve our reading abilities. Welcome, Abby. Thanks so much, Kristen. So happy to be here. Abby, I know this recording has been a long time coming, so I'm very energized to dive into this conversation. And Me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm curious. Is it true that you used to hate reading? That is so true. I don't lie about that. I was in college, or actually, it was. I, my story is that when I was in seventh grade, I remember I used to love to read up till about sixth grade, all those novels that I got to read, like the the Goosebumps books, those kinds of things. Those were fun. And then they give you a science textbook and a history textbook. And you just kind of go, yeah, this is not as much fun. And so reading kind of lost its luster at that point. And it just continued, you know, through high school and college. And I just, so in college, I really disliked reading. I'll almost say I hated it. And I remember thinking, why would anyone in their right mind want to read a newspaper on a daily basis? was like, what? That sounds stupid. So it wasn't until after I got out of college and I I had a degree in hand, and I majored in Spanish, by the way, because you could read word for word and it's okay (laughs) when you do it in a foreign language. And so I had a degree and I ended up getting a job that said, you know, if you want to travel, uh, if you have a degree, we'll train you. And I was like, that sounds great, you know, in my 20s. And it was actually a company that taught me how to teach kids speed reading and study skills. And it was like an eye-opening moment. It was almost like a divine intervention where, you know, the the heavens gave it to me and said, you need this (laughs) because I hated reading. And it just has changed my life ever since. So yes, I used to hate to read. And I, I start all my classes, webinars, teachings saying, you know, this is where I'm from. I wasn't born you know, efficient, effective, you know, reader at all. So that's why I love teaching it. 
Yeah, I think we can all relate to your story. And I, I know I felt much of the same way. As I mentioned in the opening, there's something that must have happened in that middle school where the books really did become kind of boring and they were all pre-assigned. You didn't have a lot of choice. And, you know, so I think we can all share that there's probably a time we didn't love to read. No, it's it's all factual. That was the problem. It's all facts. Nobody loves to read just facts. There's no no imagination, no creativity in your mind. When you read a story, you can just think about all kinds of things based on what you're reading. But when you read facts, it's like that's all there is. Yeah, so, you can almost yeah. escape in a story and, mm. and yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, I I made the mistake of a lot of times. I mentioned I set goals at at the beginning of the year to read and. I got into a habit where I was only reading business books because I had to keep growing and then reading became another chore. So I've done a much better job of blending business books and growth books with fun books. Um, you know, so I think that that helps too, to have some variety. I heard you mention, Abby, that reading uh, really impacted your life. So how has reading made a big difference in a change in your life? So, I mean, as a a first time mom or as a mom, it was one of those things that I knew at that time in my life how to read more efficiently. And there are so many books out there on parenting, you know, pregnancy, parenting, dealing with behavioral issues, health, education. And it was one of those things that I just felt like I can do this. It's like any problem that I have, I could go and look for a book and get it and read it. And most of the time I'd learn something from it that would be beneficial for me personally or professionally. And since then, I've also added another career to what I do, which is homeopathy. And so in the field of homeopathic medicine, there is so many books. What I have to do is read all the time, research all the time, use my eyes, my brain all the time. And I know full well, I would not have been in that profession if I still hated to read because that would be a, a, you know, a game changer. Like, no, I can't do that. But if anything, now I teach other homeopaths how to read because they have a ton of read and everyone's got some old skills. So it's just changed my life that I'm not afraid of reading as I used to be. And I'm actually attracted to a lot of things. And if I may, I just want to share with people that they don't have to read everything just because it's in their their to read pile. <laughs> people think, oh, I'm obligated because it's here. It's like, no, you, you can actually be very discerning about it by ranking it like on a scale of one to 10, one is low, 10 is high. And if it's like over a six, that's a keeper. If, if it's under a six, you got to get rid of it. And it changes like month to month or every quarter, because what's important to you now and of interest to you now may not be, you know, three months from now. And if you didn't get to that material that you put in your pile, then you should get rid of it or move it, move it aside. Don't put it in the, you know, let me get to this now stuff. So that's kind of like, just giving people permission not to read everything. You can't. There's just too much material out there. That's really helpful because I'm the type of person, whenever I hear someone mention a good book, I, I buy it, you know, put it in my Amazon cart and click buy. And Amazon loves you. <laughs> they do. They do. I'm a sucker. And I have piles. I'm looking at a pile right now in my office. I have a pile next to my, my bed on my nightstand. And sometimes I look at the piles and I don't feel very energized anymore. So I'm hearing you say it's okay to not have the pressure to read the book you bought or you rented or borrowed from a friend if it's no longer giving you energy. Right, exactly. And so what you can do with that pile that's sitting in front of you is to rank it. Like I said, you know, if it's anything over a six, keep it. And then from there, rank it from six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And then 
lay them out accordingly. So the tens you want to get to first, then the nines, then the eights, then the sevens and the sixes. And you may end up moving things around by the time you get through your tens because things are going to change and your interests are going to change. And you may buy a new book that's going to go on the top and that's a 10. So it's all about being very discerning about where you're at at this time, what you're interested in, what's going to be most relevant for you personally or professionally. Um, just as a quick aside, one of the statistics I got was even in my local library, I live in Connecticut, that my local library has over 123,000 titles of books, not, not duplicates, but titles. Okay, that just gives you a perspective. And the number of magazines we have in this country is over 7,000 titles. It's like, you, you just, you're not going to read it all. So just forget that. <laughs> now just say, okay, which, what of all of that is going to be the best for me? So that perspective. Great way to sort at the rankings. Now, while we're on this topic, what happens if we start a book and we get into it and we don't really like it? How long do you stick with the book before you move on? Oh, great, great question. There's no hard or fast rule, but all I know is that if you've been in it for a couple of chapters and it's just not doing it for you, I would say consider, consider dropping it and finding something else because there's so much more that is going to be more pleasurable because chances are, if you're not enjoying it, you're not making time to do it, which then all the other stuff gets put off because you think, oh, I got to finish this one before I can go over there. And so it's just like, just you can let it go. That's exactly how I think. I'm like, I'm already this far. I got to finish it. I got to cross it off the list, you know, add one to my goal. And, and meanwhile, the other books of interest are just hanging out, collecting dust. Yeah. Oh, it, okay. Life's too short to read a bad book. <laughs> Sorry. It's just not worth your, not worth anyone's time or energy. So I will say though, if somebody said to you, this is like the best book I've ever read and it's a novel and you're trying to figure out what is it that they liked about it? I'm not sure. So you can go back to your friend and say, so what, what, what was really good about it for you? Cause I'm really getting stuck here. And if they, you know, entice you into thinking, oh, it gets better after chapter six, it's like, okay, go for it. But otherwise it's like, you know, let it go. There's so many more out there. Let it go. Big theme yeah. here. You want to read yeah, let more, it go. let it go. <laughs> let it go, right. Let it go. Yeah. Yes. I, I heard you mention earlier that you weren't afraid of reading and that, that helped you expand your career. Is there a fear of reading? Do people fear reading? I think they fear how they feel about themselves as a reader. I see it a lot. I start all of my workshops with a statement and, and they fill in the blank. And the statement is, I am a blank reader. That word, whatever word goes in that blank tells a lot about how you feel about yourself as a reader. I mean, certainly there's, I'm a good reader. I'm an avid reader, voracious reader. That means that people are they're good readers. They like to read and it's not a problem. But if people put in there, I'm a slow reader, I'm a distracted reader, I'm a bad reader, whatever word goes in there, then you know that that attitude is affecting what they do in terms of reading. They probably don't want to do it much at all. And if they're forced to do it for you know, school or work or whatever, they're really not happy about it. <laughs> um, and so all, all it takes actually to go from a negative to a positive attitude is a set of really really simple strategies, which is what I teach people to do uh, so that they can feel more capable and more positive towards their reading and not afraid that they're going to fail, they're going to fall asleep, they're not going to be satisfied. And so it's it's kind of a shift that, that has to happen. 
Yeah. That mindset shift has to happen with a lot of the goals that we set or businesses we want to build. It it usually boils down to what are the stories you you are telling yourself and how are you thinking about what you're getting ready to do? I see people, I hate to say sadly, more often than I would like to say, who say to me, you know, when I was in elementary school, I had to stand up in front of the class and read. And ever since then, I have hated reading because they have been shamed or they were told they were bad or they were too slow. And, you know, some of these things just stick with people. It's like, let it go. Let's, your past does not predict your future. And once you know how to do things in a different way. It's like, you're not that person anymore. You, you, you really shouldn't have been back then either, but you know, it's what was given to you at the time. So people carry a lot of bad juju about their themselves around reading. I don't know why, but I see it all the time. I often talk to my clients a lot about, is there another way to rewrite this story? Or even is this story or what you're believing, is it serving you well currently? Sometimes we don't even stop. And we just go on that automatic loop and keep repeating the same negative things. And we just need to stop and say, wait a minute, why am I thinking this? To your point, it happened many, many years ago. It's not really relevant anymore. We need to move on. Right, exactly. It's, and that's a mindset for sure. And it, and you learn that through reading, by the way. You can get that through reading or podcasts. I think podcasts just like this. If you don't like to read, there's so many ways to learn through auditory means such as podcasting, which is certainly very contemporary, but even audio books, if you're an auditory person, you know, if you don't like moving your eyes and you know, having your brain involved that way, do it through your ears. It, it's a, it still works. It doesn't mean you're not quote unquote reading. Reading means you're, you're learning. I think you're, you're going on to a really great point here. And I'm curious, how do we learn as adults? Cause I'm sure it's different for so many people. So I think one thing that is helpful, so here's here's a strategy that I share with people, is that um, there's just a lot of nonfiction, and I know that your audience is very goal-minded and business-oriented, so I assume, and as they should, be reading a lot of nonfiction, the how-to books. Um, and so those books, they get pretty tedious at times when you read through, and it's like, all right, I got it, let's keep moving, or it, you know, just kind of boring at times. And so as an adult, because you have background knowledge, you you have a good sight vocabulary. When you read those kinds of books, I encourage people. Now, here's a here's a real here's a gem tool, a gem thing for people. I think they'll like this. Is that all nonfiction is written in outline form? It starts that way, and it's how I had to write all my books is in outline form. And so, what your job as the reader is, is to understand first that you're reading a fleshed out outline and secondly, to find that outline. And when you do, you've got the meat of that chapter or that article. And where that's pretty much located is your introductory paragraph, the first sentence of every paragraph, only the first sentence, okay, that's key. And then maybe the conclusion if it if it's like a full article or a chapter. But if you read just first sentences of paragraphs, you're going to see the writer's outline so easily. And this is really for edited material. It's not for like manuscripts that aren't published, but so much is already published. And you'd find it in the first sentence of every paragraph. So as an adult, it's about weeding out things that you don't need, focusing on the areas that you do need, and just moving on. 
big emphasis placed on trusting yourself. But also having some good strategies that work for you, which I guess builds your own self-trust. Sure. Yeah. You can put it that way. <laughs> I'm for one. I'm like, I've got to read the whole book. It doesn't count unless I read the whole book. So that reading strategy would be a big, big challenge for me to take and implement. That's for sure. Again, let it go. <laughs> it's it's really about understanding there's just too much to read everything. It really is difficult. And a lot of times if I have a, a nonfiction book and usually almost always there's a table of contents and I've bought the book because I have an interest in that topic, I will look at the table of contents and I'll either highlight, circle, or check the chapters that I really want to focus on. I might start with the last chapter of the book because that's what's most of most interest to me because it's nonfiction. It's a nonfiction. It's not a story, right? And so I'll go there first and I'll read first sentences of paragraphs to get the gist of what it's trying to say. And then I'll go back to the table of contents and find another chapter that looks of interest. And then after I'm done with the ones I'm interested in, let's say there are 10 chapters in the book and I found four that I like, then I decide which of the six that are left do I still want to spend my time on or do I have enough? It's, it's, so I teach active, mindful, and conscious reading. I have to put that in here because that's what it's really about. It's being very mindful, conscious, and active in the way that you approach the books and the, the materials. And I hope that makes sense to you. <laughs> in, in the active, mindful, conscious reading strategy, this allows us to consume so much more information because we're not getting bogged down in what we might not need. Correct. But you have to be awake. You have to be intentional. You have to know what you're looking for. There's definitely more of an engagement of the brain than, oh, here's a book on my, my reading pile. Let me just open it up and start reading from the beginning until the end. That's very passive. And it's just the way people have been brought up. Believe me, before I was trained in this, that's how I did it. So it's now understanding like, no, that's not going to be the most effective or efficient. That's interesting. Does this fall under speed reading? Yes. My definition of speed reading is not the same as Woody Allen's, which is I've read War and Peace in Five Minutes, and it's a book about Russia. That is the most common quote that people say. My definition is that speed reading is an active, mindful, and conscious set of strategies that allow you to get what you need quickly from any reading material in an efficient and effective manner. And so that's my definition. It's a very different definition than what people think, that speed reading is just reading as fast as you possibly can. And I say, well, that's speed looking, not speed reading. You have to be able to understand and it has to fit your purpose. Like, why are you reading something? What do you need it for? And to be able to be mindful, active and conscious in that process. So if you're someone that has a goal to read more, how do you recommend we start embracing the active, mindful, conscious strategy? Um, it's about starting to shift some of your thinking, some of your habits. Um, 
And at the risk of being um, self-promotional, I can say that the, the books that I have on the market are very helpful to people. I mean, I had to reread one of them. The, I was the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Speed Reading, which has since gone out of print. However, I have the ebook rights. And so I created an ebook version of it called Speed Reading, a little known time-saving superpower. And as I read through it, again, as I was editing it and updating some of the, the pieces of it, I was like, darn, this is a good book. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I'm really glad I'm still keeping this in print because it really does educate people about how they can be thinking differently about how they read. And so it's really about finding those places, be it, there are so many courses online. You go to YouTube, you look up speed reading, you, you know, Jim Quick is somebody who's been out there for a while. Um, I have an online course called Revit Up Reading, where you learn like step-by-step step all the strategies that you need to know. And I have some free content. Please come get the free stuff. It's I have a free sneak peek that gives you some really mind-blowing visual exercises that get you started and it's free. Um, so it's just kind of like build some curiosity around it and learn a few things. And, and it's just like, oh, that helps. Just changes your thinking. Do you ever read a book cover to cover now that you know the strategy? You know, I did. I just read one. <laughs> uh, it was uh, over 700 pages. It was Tony Robbins' book called Life Force. And it is a very large book. And I have a huge interest in that. And I read the whole book cover to cover. However, there are parts of it that got a little bit scientific and a little bit more medical that I don't really have interest in. So I would read first sentences of paragraphs through those sections that I just felt like, you know what, I, I get what he's going at, but I don't need to get all this detail. So technically I did read it. I, I mean, I feel like I read the whole thing and I read through the last page. I can say though, a lot of times that doesn't happen, especially nonfiction. It's kind of like, all right, you know, get in, get out, move on. But that book I did. It definitely is a different way of approaching reading. That's for sure. And, uh, a way to help people consume more information so they can grow. Um, more exactly. Rapidly. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's, so the concept of speed reading, I've been grappling with this for over 30 years. Like what else could I call this besides speed reading? Because speed reading just has a connotation that it's almost superhuman or impossible to do. And so I just have, over the years, I tried developmental reading. I tried business reading, strategic reading. I mean, I had all these different concepts, but then they, they just didn't seem to work nearly as well as the concept of speed reading. So I just kept it. Sometimes simple is best. Yes, right. And then I have to explain my definition of speed reading, not just what they're thinking it could be. Sure. And I'm glad you explained that because I literally was thinking you read really, really fast and you're going to teach people how to read really quickly. And No, no, it's different. No. So what I teach people is, is that everybody has a built in stick shift mentally, a gear shift in their brain. And I use a hand in my class to explain it. So if you look at your thumb and your first finger, the, you know, you have five gears, right? So you, your thumb and first finger are gears one and two, which are the slower gears. And this is where most people are stuck because they have never learned, most people haven't learned how to get into gears three, four, or five, which is the middle finger, fourth finger, and the pinky. And so in order to, to read efficiently and effectively, you have to know when you can go into fifth gear or fourth gear or third gear and how to get there versus staying in gears one and two. And so being in gears one and two has its place, like reading the Bible, reading Shakespeare, a legal document, 
uh, studying things, you know, committing things to memory, poetry, dialogue, those things you want to read on the slower side. But everything else, you could go into gear three easily for a business book. Some things that you're skimming, you could go to gear five, but you just have to know how to do it. So it's just not reading. Just because you learn to speed read doesn't mean everything has to be fast. It expands your capability. And so you then become more consciously aware of when do I slow down and when do I speed up and how do I do it? I think that's a big theme in our discussion is the level of intentionality you are encouraging people to bring to reading. Active, mindful, conscious. <laughs> Those are my three. I'm like, it's like after a while, it's the same thing. And, and I want that to be what people remember, that that is, intentionality is a great another word to, to, to add in there. Definitely. Mindful, active and conscious. Yeah. So you mentioned studying for exams, and and I want to talk about that a little bit, Abby, because a lot of my clients work in the financial services industry, and they have exams to take to further their education and better serve their clients. And I heard you say when you're reading certain material, it is okay to be in gear one or two. What advice do you have for studying for exams as adults? So interestingly, my husband is a certified financial planner, and he has people in his office who have been taking these exams. I know exactly what the exams are. And so here's my advice in general, be it if if you're studying for a financial exam or not. But Gears 1 and 2 is reserved for after you have gotten the bigger picture of what each chapter is about. And that's where that concept I was talking about of finding the writer's outline comes into play. So before you start jumping in and and trying to commit to memory something you don't even know, is to look at the whole chapter, find that outline, uh, read through that quickly first. And then when you go back and read it in more detail, find the areas that are unfamiliar to you and find a good note-taking, create a good note-taking method. And, and that doesn't mean highlighting everything. It could mean highlighting a keyword or a phrase here or there. It could be, and I teach people how to do this, you, you take what you see as the outline and you recreate it on a piece of paper. So you put a very large margin on the left. It's, it's called the Cornell method of note-taking. It's just another version of it. But you have a three-inch margin on the left, and you put a detail or a subheading there. And over on the right side, you put, your, put the, like a definition of something or you know, a formula and how to do it. It's just You just have to have active study strategies instead of, let me just read chapter six, and then I'll just see if I can answer the question. Like, no. Like, okay, what is chapter six? What's the structure of it? What are the areas I'm going to be learning about? Let me get that down first before I start going into it in more detail. That helps just build understanding right there. And you also see vocabulary that you don't know and you start creating your vocabulary list. You have to know the vocabulary of the subject that you're reading, right? And that you're learning. And so creating a vocabulary list is a good use of your time because if you can manipulate those words, then you're going to be able to do better. You'll be able to read better, understand better. So again, here comes our word active coming back into the conversation. Yes, completely. That That's what it's about. I think that's really helpful. Getting an idea of the bigger picture before diving in and trying to memorize the information, create a good system for taking notes, and then also create a vocabulary list. You can become familiar with the vocabulary of the subject that you are studying. Right. And then as you learn it, then when you start reading about it, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. 
or, or acronyms. Oh man, there's in financial world, there's so many acronyms and, and many professions. So you put the acronym on the left side of the page, you put what it means on the right. So you have your own little dictionary. It just, it makes your life so much easier and you can just have it back to refer to. It makes me think of, we can either invest the time up front and have these study systems in place and then pass or you invest your time on the back end. You, you quickly read through the material. You go take the exam. Maybe you get lucky. Likely you don't. And then you got to retake the exam. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it does happen. And test taking is also a, in and of itself as well. But I do think, especially financial exams, it would behoove you to connect with somebody that is skilled in that profession to do a review with you because they can give you insights into all those really deep concepts that are just really challenging. And so you have somebody there that can explain them in human terms versus what you're reading about. So I encourage people to talk with other people who are skilled, you know, someone who's done it. We've talked about several concepts today, the concept of letting it go. You shared with us a system to rank your reading pile. We talked about speed reading and how you define speed reading as active mindful, and conscious. Do you have any other suggestions to help people set themselves up for reading success? Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> I have so many. One of them is, is when, you, when I talk about reading success, I think of where are you when you're doing your work? Like where I'm sitting in my office right now is not where I do my focused reading. It's it's where I read on my web, you know, web pages, but I wouldn't read a book at my desk because this is where I do this is where I do things. Uh, it's it's not a place that's going to be unencumbered. And so I move to, because I work out of my home now mostly, I go to the dining room table or the living room, and that's where I do my study type of reading. Sitting upright at a desk or table, because otherwise I will get too sleepy for work material. But if I'm reading pleasure material, I'll you know be in a lazy boy chair and not be concerned if I get a little sleepy, because that's my purpose is just to enjoy it and go through a magazine or you know, so set yourself up for learning success or, you know, turn your email off, turn your phone off, you know, move to a conference room. If you work in an office, just like sign yourself into a quiet spot for a whole hour and bring your reading there and don't bring your phone. You know, It's like, we need that. We need to kind of learn how to get away from that. I even go so far in my webinars and, and my teaching to, to suggest that people learn how to monofocus, become mindful, like meditate and do yoga or tai chi because those practices also help us read better because we're able to focus on one thing at a time and so i encourage people to think about adding that to their lives as a way to not become like an add attention deficit disorder reader in that you're just totally twitching every time you're reading like oh i got, I got to do this and i got to do this like no 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 we have to calm the nervous system down you know in order to read the other thing that I would suggest, and I share this a lot, is when you're reading, so we haven't talked at all about how to digest all those words. So let me give your uh, listeners one really great tip. It's using this thing called the white card method. My favorite thing to share with people because people get it. If you take a blank white card, like a three by five card or the backside of a business card or a blank white piece of paper from your printer, and you have in front of you something to read, my question would be like, and I'll ask you and we'll see what answer you give me. Here you have this white card. Here you have something to read. Where would you want to put it 
on the page when you're going to read with it? What would you do with it? I'd probably stick it somewhere in the book out of my way. (laughs) Well, let's say I said you need that card to help track your eyes so that it helps move your eyes. Where would you think you would want to put it? So I'll give you a choice. Would you put it below the line or above the line? I would put it below the line I'm reading. Okay. This is what everyone says. So good answer. (laughs) Actually, it's not the correct answer, but it's a good answer. And the reason is, is if you put it below the line you're reading, which is great for like kids learning how to read, it reassures you that the material that you've just read is still there in case you don't get it, but you're also blocking where you're going. So Mm. if you're going to use a white card, you put it above the line you're reading, which forces, it leaves open where you're going and the tendency to go back becomes a whole lot less. So you have to get it the first time through. And so by putting it above and then you're reading below it, it just reduces regression, which is a bad reading habit. And it also forces you to move just a little bit faster. Plus it's a line because it's a card it's line by line by line. So you really don't lose your place that way either. I think I might have that bad habit you're talking about. Cause sometimes I'll read and I lose the active mindful consciousness and I go, whoa, what did I just read? And I have to go back to the top of the page and read it over again. I'm visually seeing how the card moving down the page helps keep you focused. It's meant to do that. It it is. And it's meant to get your eyes and brain up to speed. And at some point you might find that the card goes off the page because you're up to speed, but then you turn the page and then you feel yourself slowing down. So you put the card back on. It's kind of like a pace car that is in the Indy 500. They kind of get all the cars up to speed. And then after the cars are up to speed, the pace car goes off the track just to preserve itself (laughs) to, to be safe. And it goes off and the cars go around. But then if there's an accident or daydreaming in this case, you know, and so you have to get the cars back back up to speed again. So you put that thing back on. And so it's the same concept. They're called pacers or hand or card methods. And the white card method to me is the one that most people find easy to do. Plus it's got a, you know, a tool to use with it. As long as it's from the top down, that's the key. If you do it from the bottom down, it's not nowhere near as good. It's got to be top down. Well, given that you are such an avid reader, I I have to know, do you have a favorite book or a couple of favorite books? One of the ones that I like that I recently read is called Radical Remission, and it's about nine different theories or different things that people can do to either recover from cancer or not get cancer. So I don't have cancer, but I certainly am interested to know what is it that people should be doing to prevent cancer. And so it's a really great read. And it's actually based on the nine principles from a Netflix special called Heal, H-E-A-L. And so as, you know, as a homeopath, I'm also interested in those kinds of things, but I was just like intrigued like, wow, yeah, people really do need some of these nine things in their life. And I could see why cancer could be very prevalent and how they could have radical remission when, you know, the doctors are like, how could that happen? That doesn't make sense. How that cancer just like disappeared. But there's a mental emotional component to it. So anyway, that's one of my more favorite books. And I think the Life Force book that Tony Robbins put out was very interesting too. Um, But one of my favorite, favorite books as an entrepreneur has been the little engine that could the one that kids read <laughs> and it, it the, basically it's about this train that's 
you know, I think I can, I think I can. It's been my motto all these years, just like, yeah, I think I can, I think I can. And it just gets me up that mountain. So um, there's a lot of great books out there with different messages. That's such a great point uh, as entrepreneurs to remember, we have to constantly keep thinking that we can, because if we start to doubt ourselves and our ideas aren't going to take off or we won't attract the clients that we want to attract. So I love that you still are borrowing inspiration from uh, a children's book. And it's on my shelf. I have the book on my shelf. Just, you know, when I look at my other books, it's like, oh, yeah, that book's there, too. Yeah, it, it has a place. It's kind of like, oh, the places you will go, the Dr. Seuss book. Yes, yes, exactly. That's another good one. Mm-hmm. That's another good one. It's fantastic. Well, Abby, this has been a really great conversation, and I could keep talking to you for hours upon hours about reading and books, and we could keep uh, geeking out over this subject matter. If our listeners are interested to learn more about the work you do or the courses that you offer, where can our listeners learn more? Well, thank you for allowing me to share that. Um, my website is RevitUpReading. It's R-E-V-I-T-U-P reading.com. And they can get a lot of information there about my online course and about me and uh, all kinds of different things that they can get engaged in. So hopefully that'll be helpful for people. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Abby. Great questions. Thanks so much, Kristen. Appreciate it. Absolutely. With that goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned and identify your priorities for next week so you can consistently pursue progress in the direction of your goals. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on goal achieving and business growing wisdom. If you want my best goal achieving tips and a monthly reminder to check in on your goals, join my email list at kristenburke.com. 